This is Motley Fool Money. Welcome to Motley Fool Money, the podcast that promises never to charge late fees. I'm Scott Phillips, and with me, as always, is Dr. Anir Barn Mahanti. G'day, Doc. Good day, Captain. How are you? Mate, I'm fighting fit happily. For those who listened last week, I was on the road to recovery. Not quite 100% there, mate, but feeling pretty good. You sound good. How are you? I'm, I'm actually good. Excellent. Excellent. All right, it's a good day. Mate, we've got a lot to cover today. We're going to go a little bit macro. We're going to start with the US Federal Reserve and the oil price. Then we're going to get pretty local after pay, the payment method that is taking over the world, maybe. Mm-hmm. Also talk about bingo. That's right, skip bins and a takeover that wasn't exactly given the green light by the ACCC. And if we've got time, we'll talk about aristocrat and... Back to the future. Back to the 80s. Microsoft ah. versus Apple. Oh. So you're just all over the place today. Like, Wait, well, know, no, we're covering, covering the like, big issues. Know, you've, you've, covering you've the big got, issues. You've got garbage, uh, disposal. <laughs> we've got late fees. Enough about Apple. Enough about Apple. <laughs> uh, we've, you know, we've got great things and then not so good things. All right. <laughs> all right. Let's okay. kick it off with some macro, mate. And let's start with US Federal Reserve Chairman Jerome Powell. Now, the market was pretty excited on, I'm going to say, was it Wednesday morning here? I think so, yeah. When Jerome Powell, who'd previously said, oh, rates have got to go up, it's got to get back to more normal levels, the market was left with a very much of a sense before Wednesday, mm-hmm. there was a little bit of room to go yet on rates. Mm-hmm. He kind of hosed that down pretty big time, right? By saying, well, look, you know, about those rates, maybe there's not quite as far to go as we thought. Maybe there's not quite as much going on. Mm. What happened and what does it mean? Well, I mean, you know, uh, so a couple of things. I think maybe what he did, and this is my speculation, is just to basically say that, look, you know, if we think that the rate should be around 2 to 3%, mm-hmm. then, you know, we're kind of getting there. It's it's not, for at least for the U.S. Fed rates, we're not that far from, you know, somewhere in the midpoint, right? It basically means mm-hmm. if you get one more rate increase... Um, in December, which uh, you know, which most people are forecasting is going to happen, yep. pretty likely, um, then you're close to two percent, and you know you get a few more, and you're in the two and a half, right? If you actually get if you get three increases in 2019, mm-hmm. you're two point seven five ish. That's right? kind of what the market already expected. It seemed to me, it seemed to the market, like Powell was saying, "Hey, hey, not so fast, and maybe not so high." Well, uh, you know, yeah. So what I thought is what he's saying is that you know if we can get to two and a half ish range, two two and a half, we will be happy, right. and that would be sort of in line with the expectations around inflation being you know around that level. Inflation has really not crept up, yep. and you know maybe that's the new normal. The, maybe the new normal is not five percent. Is I guess yeah. you know, and when the Fed chair says that, you know, new normal. <laughs> People are listening. Yeah, when I say the new normal is two percent, nobody's going to listen. But even if I, you know, and Powell says the new normal is you know between two and three percent, everyone listens. So I mean, there's a bit of a reiteration of what. I think they have been messaging, but messaging maybe more mm. uh, accurately. That was my view. I, you know, uh, people were excited. And, and and the other thing we have to remember is that in the stock market sort of, re, you know, when I say the stock market, I mean yeah. markets all, all over here mm. and in the US. Mm. I mean, the markets went up. But I mean, we also have to remember the markets were also down, right? Yeah, so, yeah, yeah. So yeah. they were looking for some good news. They found some good news. And hey, you know, party is back. <laughs> no matter, we can't stop. We can't not talk about. Donald Trump when it comes to this because Trump came out a little bit earlier than mm. that, a couple of days earlier I think I want to say he Two said something back. like the Fed Reserve was a bigger problem than China or words to that effect is it is it is it too much to kind of link the two and say so Trump comes out and kind of waves the big stick 
And then Jerome Powell comes out a couple of days later and says, oh, yeah, about those rates. Yeah, no, not so much as we thought. <laughs> Is that too much of a conspiracy theory or is there some linkage there? Um, I, I'd like to believe that, you know, the, the world's largest Federal Reserve or the Federal, or, or, you know, the world's largest government bank <laughs> mm-hmm. is kind of... Uh, at least once after the appointment has been made, is going to make independent decisions. Uh, I'd like uh, to believe a failed businessman president of the United States either, Doc. But we can't have everything we want. <laughs> yeah, but 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 one is political. Yeah. The uh, the other is you know you've picked an economist. You, right. You, know, you, you so, picked right? someone who's an economist. You know, has got a you know good track record. He's you know, yeah. got a you know sensible head. Is is not into politics. Is not. I mean, probably has political affiliations, but he's not not running yeah. for office. Yeah. Yep, yep. So. Uh, He's not going to change his mind, hopefully, based on, on the back that. of a tweet from President Trump. Exactly. And I mean, right. President Trump tweets about so many things. Doesn't he? It's, it's, you know, he might tweet, you know, rates are too low next week, right? And then what does Powell do? So, yeah. All right. Yeah. So we won't, we won't hold the conspiracy just yet. We'll say that maybe there's a bit of a weakening of expectations. Maybe the US economy isn't as strong as Powell may have previously thought. Or maybe he was just being a little clearer than maybe he had been in the past. Any one of those. <laughs> so, so basically, no, no one knows is the answer, but the markets like it because if rates stay lower for longer, yeah, it's that's good, good for share prices. It's good right? for equities. It's good for many other things. It's maybe not so All good right. for some things. Now, I have to ask you, Matt, we talk about the US a bit, and, and mm. we do because it's relevant, because it's interesting and mm-hmm. fun, but bring it home for us. Yes. So that happened. I noticed this morning the Australian dollars by about 73.2 US cents, which is a not, it, it's a decent level given we've been at 70, 71 in the, in the not too recovery. distant past. Yeah. Right. Um, what, what, is, what is a more dovish, to use the horrible cliche, mm. US Fed mean for Australia, do you reckon? Well, I mean, it, it, it means that, you know, the American dollar, which has been strengthening because of the fact that, you know, you mm. could actually get higher interest on American bonds than, than Australian bonds. Um, and, and that's relatively speaking. Right. Uh, I mean, um, so, I mean, it means that, you know, our currency actually could appreciate a bit. For example, that's a poss- possibility. Again, I don't know where it's going to do, mm-hmm. but I mean, you know, that's a possibility. As you have seen, it has gone up a bit. Yeah. The other thing it means is that if the rates are not going up that much, then uh, I guess, you know, maybe my housing uh, predictions <laughs> will not come true. We can uh, only hope, mate. Can only so, hope. I mean, it will put re- less pressure on on our banks. I mean, our, we are still, our rates are still far mm-hmm. below the US rates, but it also means that the overseas borrowing will be slightly easier, yeah. maybe slightly at lower rates. Um, which yeah, true, which true. which which might be an advantage. So there's there's some give or take there. I mean, you know, uh, our dollar becoming stronger would mean it's not so good for mm. export. Mm. Um, but it also means that you know, if you're borrowing from overseas, then it's good. So and overseas made iPhones a little bit cheaper for a little bit longer. Yeah, that too. All right. Speaking of overseas, mate, I can't we can't move on from macro and frankly from the dollar mm. without talking about the oil price now. I I don't like commodities generally speaking. Who put that in? <clears throat> you did. Oh. I yeah. Uh, I, I don't like commodities <laughs> generally speaking. I, I actually dislike oil more than anything because, as a commodity, it is the least freely traded mm. product on the world market. So, iron ore, copper, gold, silver, platinum, pretty much name your commodity. I mean, commodities are kind of a crappy at general because you can't. No one can. You can't be a price maker, right? You've got to yeah. take whatever the global price mm. is. The difference here is that. OPEC, the Organization of Petroleum Exporting Countries. The cartels. Well, this is the thing, right? So (laughs) in any other industry, inside a single country, that would be horribly, horribly illegal. If we had had an OPEC-style operation between BP, Caltex, and Shell here in Australia, that would be in in federal court quicker than you can blink. Yes. (laughs) And yet because, A, we all need oil, and B, sure to go into war with these countries, everyone kind of accepts that it is what it is, Mm. 
There are no supply and demand dynamics working here, at least not not traditional unfettered ones, because OPEC conspires to push the volumes down mm, and keep prices, the prices yeah. up. Mm. And so it's kind of you can't really use traditional supply and demand to work out what's going on. Mm. That being said, OPEC don't want to see the oil price fall, and yet it is. What's going on with the oil price? So I mean, you know, there's there's various sort of conspiracy theories here. We, we can go back to uh, President Trump. And oh, there we go. My hate, favorite conspiracy. I, I, I hate going back to that one <laughs> <laughs> because it's probably nothing the, good comes from this conversation. Because it's the least credible of the lot. Um, I, I mean, it, the one conspiracy theory goes as such. It says that well, you know, um, because of the killing of the Saudi jur- journalist that happened in. All um, oh, right. Uh, right. You know, where was that? I forgot. The Saudi embassy in Turkey. In Turkey, mm-hmm. that's right. And because of allegedly, that, allegedly. Uh, and, and because of that, there's a lot of pressure, you know, being put on the Saudi Arabians. This is being yeah. used as a leverage that, look, you know, we're going to be soft on you on that if you don't push the oil prices <laughs> up. I mean, this is one theory that's going on. Um, and and because of that... Well, the, and, and to your point, Trump kind of did give it some credence, right? So despite all the concerns in the, in the media, in particular from journalists in general... We've seen Donald Trump come out and say that Saudi Arabia is a friend of the United States. Yes. And he's been very, very conciliatory given that government's been accused of, of an extrajudicial killing of a journalist. Yeah. Uh, a person who is actually US-based. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so uh, works for the, he used to work for the Wall Street Journal. Yeah. So, I mean, um, yes. So, I think that is that is part of the deal. The other, okay. I think the, the other part here is that it is sometimes difficult for OPEC while they are a cartel, but, you know, mm. there are different dynamics here. Uh, it, they have to get Russians on board, for example, with right. the re- reduced, uh, you know, if you have a reduced target, everybody has to reduce target. And right? Venezuelans, right? They're the two right. kind of exactly. rogue, if you like. I mean, in, in any other industry, we'd say <laughs> that, that they're operating as, as markets should, and yeah. OPEC are the rogue ones. Yeah. In this case, they're the rogue Russia and the cartel. Venezuela. Right. They're, well, they're not exactly part of the cartel, but you yeah. need... There's so much oil now coming out yeah. of those two countries. You need some cooperation. Yeah, and, and the third point I think is that uh, shale uh, production is is right. like booming in the U.S. Right, right? right. I mean, and and the cost of production keeps going down as technology improves. Mm-hmm. So, so therefore, I mean, there's there's a natural. I think we're reaching a point where there's probably a natural limit to what the cartel can do. Yeah, and and it's good for consumers, I guess. Now, and here's the. F- so I think that's right. I think look, I'm not going to try and pretend I know where the oil price is going next. As it because of that, if in a, in a different world. In a different environment, you know, if if the supply and demand was allowed to fluctuate properly, mm-hmm. the oil price would absolutely have a two in front of it. Mm-hmm. It'd be 20, 22 bucks a barrel because it costs somewhere between, allegedly, we don't know for sure, between about 13 and 18 bucks a barrel mm. to get it out of the ground in Saudi Arabia and the Middle East in general. I've heard 10 bucks. There you go. Yeah. yeah. So, so you know, like, ordinarily, um, and, and frankly, think about the, the petrol price, right? So we're paying, I know I paid $1.70 a litre to fill up with diesel the other day. That was, uh, ah, I, was, I, was I was in the region, so it might have yeah. been a bit more expensive yeah. than general. But if, I paid $1.40 uh, uh, right, right. And, and for petrol. So, But, it, but if, if the oil price comes down by a factor of two-thirds-ish, maybe, you know, something like that, I mean, you, you, we're not going to get all that passed under the pump. There's fuel taxes and other mm. things, but you're probably paying less than a buck a liter if, yeah. if things. So it's, it's kind of a big deal, right? It's, it is a big deal. What so, I, and that's a big deal. And uh, I, I mean, that's the other dynamic, right? If if you know, if our oil consumption is also decreasing because our you know fuel, right. our vehicles are becoming more efficient. Which it is kind of right. Right. I mean, yeah. so which basically means that uh, they they have less and less leverage mm, over time. Mm, so, mm. and as you say, I think that's that's the the, the 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 new cap on the price is really that shale consumption. Mm. Shale is unprofitable at the current oil price. But it doesn't take much for the price to go back up for yeah. the shale to come on stream. It puts a natural cap, which is kind of good for everything. You know what I find really fascinating about the um, the oil story is it, it's kind of got that inflation and GDP, right? Mm. So the lower the oil price, right, the lower GDP mm-hmm. and the lower inflation, people say it's a problem. Mm-hmm. And you kind of think, okay, well, 
if 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 deflation's a problem because oil is cheaper because you know it's cheaper to fuel our cars, our mm. planes, our ships, mm. uh, our homes. It's one of those weird, weird kind of economic characteristics where normally lower prices should be great for the economy, mm. and yet economists find a really funny way of kind of screwing it around so that it seems like a negative somehow mm. that lower oil prices are somehow bad for us. It's, it's one of those weird things about the way we count these. Yeah, these kind in, of economic in my economic household, lower oil price is great. I'll right, take, exactly. You've got, you got to want it, right? <laughs> yeah, exactly. we, we pretend that it's it's causing deflation, it's bad for GDP. Yeah. It's like, guys, come on. Yeah. How is this in any in any world, anyone's yeah. world a bad thing? Motley Fool Money. Financial advice for real people, not trust fund hippies. Sign up for the newsletter at fool.com.au forward slash triple M. Now, mate, speaking of bad things, mm. I'll tell you what, I'm getting good at these segues, mate. Yeah. This, is, this is seamless, this is like, oh, absolutely seamless. seamless. What is you're bad? Welcome, you're welcome, fools. Well, what, this, is, this is the question, right? So, I Is it bad? Uh, well, is it bad is the right question. <laughs> right, I don't okay. know. I yeah. kind of think it's bad, uh, but other people may have different views. So, Afterpay mm. now has $900 million worth of debt outstanding. I'd just call right? it billion. Call it, it sounds, rounds sounds up great. to a billion dollars. Yeah, billion dollars. Australians and to some degree a few Americans mm-hmm. are, have spent- well, have outstanding now a billion dollars worth of debt to Afterpay. Mm. We saw in the paper one young lady who said, Afterpay is great, quote, it lets me live above my means. That's not good. <laughs> well, for her it was. So anyway, so Afterpay is basically a new credit product, right? Not, yeah. We didn't have enough mortgage debt and mm. credit card debt and mm. personal loan debt. We now have Afterpay debt of a billion dollars. Thanks very much. Mm-hmm. And the the regulator, ASIC, kind of looked at this and went, ah, that's kind of okay. Mm. We, we, we'd like to be a little more kind of careful about it, but it's not a credit product really, and mm. we don't really want to regulate it. Mm. They want oversight <sighs> on it, but not regulation. So you've got a billion dollars worth of debt. You've got people who are saying, great, it means I can afford stuff I wouldn't otherwise be able to afford. Mm-hmm. They're kicking the can down the proverbial road. Mm-hmm. ASIC doesn't seem to care. Now, if you're an Afterpay shareholder, this is cause for absolute cartwheels. And I have to say, every time I express some concern about Afterpay on Twitter, I get flamed by people who are accusing me of Mm-mm. all sorts of things. <laughs> I just you're just out of quite, tune with reality here. Well, yeah, you know, out of touch. Something's out of touch with something, dude. <laughs> I I, I lo- so here's the thing. I love Afterpay as an innovation, right? I think it's a really, really clever, smart thing mm-hmm. that an Australian business person or business people have come up with. Mm. It, it's a brand new payment method. Retailers love it, consumers love it. Full marks, right? This mm. is this is a really this is what capitalism is supposed to do, right? Develop new solutions, new products for new people. I love that. Regulators, though, are supposed to keep us out of trouble, and I'm not convinced that's the case. Mm. What say you? Afterpay, hindrance or help? Well, uh, as you said, I, I think as a model, it's a very interesting model. I, I find the model very interesting. You know, somebody else is, um, it, you're not paying any interest. That's, that's, I think, an interesting model there. True. Um, which is how they get away with avoiding which the credit Which is how they get away right? with I- avoiding the credit, uh, the, you know, the, the rules hey, that go. It's not a credit product. We don't charge interest. Because we don't charge interest. The other, the, I mean, and just like the credit card products, you're basically, they are charging the retailers, which is another right. interesting uh, angle here. Mm-hmm. Um, but all said and done, it is, after all, another form of debt. I mean, that's just, right. you know, you, you know how you look at it. You know, you could, you know, you can fine tuning the wo- fine tune the words, but yeah. it is another form of debt. By definition, uh, right? You're, you're, you're taking an obligation. You're gonna have to pay at some point in the future. Yeah. If that's not debt, what is? Yeah, and 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 I mean, the number that is very interesting to note is, and I think last year they had what twenty four percent of their revenue was from late fees. So One they do quarter of the cash they make was from late fees. People who aren't able to meet the terms. Yeah. of the agreement. Yeah, so and they pay what ten dollars as a minimum, and there's a, some maximum cap or something. So I mean, in some sense, in some cases, if you buy a shoe, like, and you you buy a shoe for hundred and fifty bucks, and you are not able to pay it over four months, you might land up paying actually forty dollars in late fees. Mate, just quietly, I, I want two shoes, not just one. 
Okay. I can't do much with one shoe. Okay. You buy, 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 pair. Oh, buy, pair. The okay, pair. buy the pair. Buy the pair. For 150 bucks still, or do I have to pay 300 bucks now? Oh, let's make it 200. 200. Okay. Yeah. So that's not bad. I get the extra shoe for only. You get the other one for, yeah. for so, one so, third of the price. So, so now, now, now with that, <laughs> yeah. I mean, if you, if you pay 40 bucks on yeah. 200 bucks, Right. <laughs> that is a huge And allegedly, this isn't a query. I, I, and I mean, you can always argue that the, the late fee is actually a form of interest. Of course it is. It, it is a form of interest. Uh, and, uh, of course, maybe they don't have recourse here in terms of um, uh, trying to, because it's not a credit product, they probably don't have the recourse to uh, try to actually recoup um, the uh, uh, the money that this owed, right? I mean, I don't know. I don't know whether I don't know whether they they actually can go to um, debt collectors and say collect the debt. So Although it's probably not worth it, frankly, given the size of the debt so for most a, people. But 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 it's it's still an obligation. It's a legal obligation yeah. you're entering into. I don't. For the life of me, after this bloody banking royal commission, mm. how the regulator can say no, 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 we'd rather a soft touch, please. I I yeah. just find absolutely mind-numbingly bizarre. Not only that, if people are paying late fees on their afterpay purchases. And they've probably got a credit card, yeah. or they might have a home loan, or all three, or a personal loan. Yeah. If you're late on one, that's got to be impactful yeah. on your overall credit worthiness. I, I just don't see how it's a positive. Yeah. I, I get the activity. I get the. the I get people like to yeah. buy stuff. I get the retailers love it. How on earth this is not just adding more fuel to the fire of kind of Spiraling economic uncertainty debt. is yeah. is just it, it beyond the, me. The the I think that the the thing that uh, also concerns me is that you know if you don't have a credit check behind it, it's not on the credit file. Uh, you can actually later on also add get a home loan, get a car loan, right, right. and now well, there's now, afterpay, zip pay. This, this yeah, and you can have yeah. these five other you know afterpay, zip pay, easy pay, and whatever else that exists, right? And you can have all these other things that is actually completely unknown to the other the other providers, right? right, right. right? And and therefore therefore the other agencies which are other other parties which are doing their due diligence actually do not have a full picture. And therefore, it increases the risk not just for one party that's yep. outside the picture, but for everyone. So I think it is not good for the financial stability um, that we'd like to have. So I agree on that completely. So great product, great yeah. innovation. Just, I think you're not... And look, great for the shareholders. You know, shareholders have deserved the, the money they've made if they've been able to see the vision and back it. How, though, it's in anyone's interest to have less regulation, given everything we've seen around the Royal Commission recently, I, I just... I don't know how a regulator can honestly stand in front of any group of people and say, yeah, you know, we don't think there should be much regulation here. I just, anything that increases economic instability, anything that increases the risks to yeah. the system, can't be a good thing to stand yeah, uh, in, in general, I'm, I'm a less regulation uh, is good regulation person, but, you know, I, I do think that, you know, around financial systems, it's so important to have oh, it because the, the risk that emanates from that of not having it. Well, we've seen is, this happen, yeah, right? We've seen huge. what happens when they're not in, when yeah. they're insufficient oversight yeah. of, of the financial industry. Yeah, and, and, and that's not just divesting for one person. It could be divesting for the entire country, for, you know, a large number of economies and things like that. So, yeah. Man, you talk yeah. about the first domino. Value stocks. Markets. Stock market. Index. Share market. This is Motley Fool Money. Subscribe to the free newsletter at fool.com.au forward slash triple M. Hey, um, speaking of reg- mm. regulators, let's go from ASIC to the ACCC. Mm. Bingo Industries. For those who mightn't know, Bingo Industries, I, I can't work out what the Bingo Industries sounds like a lottery player. <laughs> it does sound like a lottery player. Or that, or that, or that song we used to sing as kids, you know, B-I-N-G-O, Bingo was his name. <laughs> uh, it turns out, it turns out this is the, this is a provider of skip-ins. Mm. And they've, they're, this is a $1.3 billion business, by the way. Tell me there's not money in garbage. Uh, um, I don't know what that says about us, actually. I don't know if there's a lot of industrial waste or we're throwing a lot of stuff out or, or so what's going they, on. They do a lot of business uh, building and development waste as well, right? B&D. Makes it, kind of, makes it kind of cyclical, I think, at some level. Yeah, anyway, we're not talking about that this time. Yes. We're talking about their takeover of Dial-A-Dump. <laughs> they wanted to buy it for half a billion dollars, which is 
not inconsequential given their $1.3 billion market mm. cap. So it's probably, call it 35, 40% of the business's value among mm-hmm. friends. The ACCC said, uh-uh, you mm-hmm. can't do this. There is too much concentration in the skipping industry of all things. <laughs> After Afterpay can knock itself out as far as ASIC are concerned, but if there's too many skip bins owned by one company, we've got a competition issue. Um, so basically, look, at, at the moment, it's a no. Mm. And frankly, this is not a kind of business where you can sell off some of the stores or some of the territories or some of the products. Well, dial some of the up, sites, dial the, up, the right? dump sites. Well, this is the thing. Yeah. If you, your brand is your brand is your mm. brand, you can't kind of say, well, I'll ignore half the brand or mm. only buy half the brand. You kind of want mm. the business or you don't. At this stage, it looks like a no. The shares of Bingo fell 5% on the news. So mm. shareholders were kind of unhappy that the ACCC said no. Is there is there hope for the deal or is the deal dead and buried? Well, from what I read, I mean, this is an industry I don't follow that closely. But, I mean, you know, from what I read, it does you don't, seem You like, don't follow the skipping industry? I'm not following the garbage industry. <laughs> the, I only throw garbage into the bin and that's about how much I know. So. <laughs> as long as you're taking away, you're happy, and right? I, I, and I do see the truck come by and yeah. I, I still find it fascinating. There we go. Uh, but, uh, um, uh, yeah, uh, I mean, one of the things that they raised was um, there'd be too much concentration in terms of the sites, yeah. uh, the Dumping sites in Sydney, okay. uh, which would allow then the combined entity to raise prices. Mm-hmm. The other issue I think that was raised was uh, Queensland. I think doesn't have a levy for out of state or something like That's that. That's right. And and but they are thinking of putting one in, yep. which would mean that you know that competition kind of disappears because right now if if Bingo and Combo, Bingo and Dial increase dial their <laughs> Dial a Dump, uh, increase their uh, freight. Uh, for mm-hmm. uh, taking garbage, then you know people can actually t- truck it <laughs> to Queensland, right, right, but it right. might become more costly to actually truck it to Queensland if Queensland introduces a. Uh, and I and I, you know I fully support them in doing that. Tell you, you know. what, mate, you reckon you reckon government <laughs> for people who say we should get rid of state governments, I, you know, so this is stupid. People they will actually truck rubbish, yeah. literally across the border. Yeah. They'll drive it for hundreds of kilometres because <laughs> it's cheaper to drive over the border uh, to, than to dump it in New South Wales. That, that's, I think that's very interesting. I find that very interesting what and if, fascinating. What are state governments doing? I mean, I, I'm. I'm all for kind of, you know, innovation and, and some degree of competition at state government level, but how mad are they when one of them says, no, no, no I'm going to let you drive your stuff over the over the border and dump yeah. it here because it's cheaper. It's because it's cheaper. But that looks like it's going to disappear or it's going to vanish. because it's gonna, to, surely. So, so that, I think, makes it, you know, these guys are going to have, what, like 70% of the market or 80% mm-hmm. of the market, and therefore they could, you know, jack up prices, which I think is, yeah. it's, it's the right question yeah. to raise. This is exactly what, you know, Rod <laughs> Simmons and company are supposed to be doing. Right, right, right. So they're doing their job. Uh, you know, you know, three cheers for that. Yeah. And uh, I didn't, I didn't think my read was that this is not a no yet. I mm. mean, there's a chance for the company to rebut, but it looks like a no. <laughs> Motley Fool Money. For more, go to fool.com.au forward slash triple M. Mate, um, look, that's the that's the bingo story. Mm-hmm. And from bingo, these these always write themselves. Mm. From bingo mm-hmm. to poker machines. You can see the whole gambling kind of game thing. Sort of mm. game. No? Not working for you? Not really. Okay. Mate, um, <laughs> Aristocrat Leisure, the biggest maker, I want to say, of poker machines, mm-hmm. uh, makes it either the ultimate sin stock or maybe the ultimate, uh, the ultimate. Uh, I don't know, it's pretty attractive, right? If you, if, you, if you can addict your customers, you're in a pretty good place. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that being said, hasn't had a great time of it just recently, and it is those poker machines that are to blame, is my understanding. 
Well, okay. So the results actually looked on the surface very, very good, right? Uh, I mean, the, shareholders didn't agree. Well, sure, the, you know, well, here's the problem, right? The <laughs> earnings were up a lot, right. but the outlook is not that great, and therefore, mm. you know, the shares got beaten. That was that was my high-level take on this. Um, it could also be that some of the earnings are shifting to lower-margin products, right? And, and and services. That's never good. Which is never never really good. I mean, that was my high-level take. Look, I I don't you know follow this that closely, mm. but you know it's. It's a quality business in terms of what it does. It's, it's yeah. a leader. At, you're getting at 20 times earnings or something like that. The shares, assuming that they can deliver growth, I mean, that doesn't look like terribly expensive. Yeah, you know what the problem I've always had with Pokemon? I've probably said this before, but hmm. I, I, I'm, I'm old enough to remember when the Queen of the Nile game was new in, hmm. in, in the pubs and clubs around Australia. I do notice that it's still around. I haven't played it for a very long time. Uh, but I do notice Queen of the Nile is still around. There's other games as well. It kind of always... Remi- these guys remind me, as an industry, of, of the movie industry. Hmm. You kind of want to have the big Hits. smash success, right? Hmm. I said, hmm. Queen of the Nile... And I want, like... I, I don't want to get my age away here, but I reckon Queen and I must be 25 years old because it literally, I'm pretty sure it was there when I first went to pubs and clubs. Uh, and so you kind of you kind of look at that and say, well, you know, yes, the history's been good, but how much can you actually extrapolate? You know, the, if you're Disney or you're, you're 20th Century Fox, maybe you can kind of assume that the sales will broadly be pretty good because you've got a good kind of, you know, network. You've got a good way of making movies. You know what you're doing. Yeah. Um, on the other hand, it's kind of hard to forecast out four or five years and see... Which will be the big hits? As you yeah. say, the, the margins are falling. Um, it's, the club industry, the pub industry, they're pretty much saturated when it comes to poker machines, yeah. right? Maybe there's some growth in the US where they're legalizing a bit more gambling, but kind of hard to imagine or hard to, hard to forecast with any certainty what the future looks like, isn't it? it? That is true. I mean, but I mean, if in many of these things, right, you know, in the, in the hits driven industry, mm-hmm. you could, you know, my general thesis tends to be that, you know, if you have historically done okay, yeah. Then over a longish stretch, you'll probably do okay. You have to be prepared for some volatility in the sense that you know there will be times when you miss, uh, you know, you miss the trick. You mm. know, you don't have you know, you know the you just couldn't do it, and and therefore yeah. you have to just be able to. So, it, so in, in companies like this, you need to watch with the, if they've got strong balance sheets, then you're mm. good. Um, if you've got a lot of debt on the balance sheet, then you've got a bit of a problem, in, uh, you know, on hand because if you miss the trick, then you might be in, in trouble. So, mm. yeah. I will say this has been stunningly successful over the last decade or so, uh, even even decade and a half. Uruskai's done very, very, very well. It has been a bit boom and bust. Back in 2007, the shares were $17, and then by 2009, they were $3.75. So it wouldn't exactly be the first time that uh, mm. that things have struggled. But look at it. They're back to 25 bucks. So you've, you've made money if you've held on. Right. Um, I just, I, maybe maybe it's a mental block, mate. I just I really struggle with these guys, not for any ethical reason. Our, our listeners can make their own decisions on ethics. But I just maybe you're right. Maybe, maybe it's a winners keep on winning type scenario. But I just wouldn't at all be surprised to see in, in five years' time a very, very different market leader just because of the very nature of the way these things work. That you know, the, the next company to come up with something great, maybe it's Aristocrat, maybe it's Ainsworth, maybe it's WMS, maybe it's somebody else, maybe it's a brand new company from, from somewhere using AI or something else. Just really, really hard for me to, to forecast and get right, I reckon. Yeah, that, that's why I said, you know, if you have a strong balance sheet, you might have the opportunity to acquire maybe, you know, an up-and-coming game company that has yeah. the right yeah. games and things like that. But yeah, I, I take your point. Real money advice from real people. Not just a couple of dicks with a Porsche. Get more at fool.com.au forward slash triple M. Mate, I'm going to finish us off with something that hopefully won't be a 45-minute conversation. Uh Uh-oh. We are going back to the 1980s, as I mentioned at the very beginning Mm -hmm. of the podcast, because this this blew my mind when I saw saw this tweeted on, Mm. I want to say it was Monday or Tuesday, 
And it was true for a little while, then it wasn't. Now it is again. Oh, is it not? Well, but we don't know. It was. Uh, I, mean, I, think, well, it, I think it depends. Call it close enough. The, the tweet I saw earlier this week was that Microsoft mm. was now worth more than Apple. Mm. Now, by the time the market closed that day, it wasn't true. It's been back and forwards, as you say. Maybe at the time of recording, maybe by the time our uh, listeners listen to this, it'll be, be different again. Mm. In any case, Microsoft and Apple are worth roughly the same amount of money. Now, if you take yourself back, take us back five years, mm. Apple was in the ascendancy. It was growing like the clappers. Everybody wanted an iPhone, a Mac, a uh, iPad and iWatch or whatever else. Mm. They're Apple Watches, they're not iWatches. Mm. Um, and and Microsoft was yesterday's you know software business. Everyone mm. was using Google Docs. Uh, no one was buying Microsoft powered phones anymore. The business was kind of slated by many people as being, if not a death's door, kind of yesterday's mm. business, right? The kind of the Xerox or the or the something of the world that yeah, it's got a business there, mm. but not very exciting, not very interesting. Mm. Fast forward to 2018, these two businesses are worth about the same, which is. Partly about Apple's share price having fallen. Mostly, I'd argue, about Microsoft's share price having risen reasonably steadily over a mm. decade. It just it kind of give me the story. I, mm. I'm still, I, I'll admit I sold my Microsoft shares about 50% ago, which was clearly a stupid thing to mm. do in hindsight. Um, but this this stunned me. Um, I had no concept that Microsoft was so close to Apple in terms of value. Mm. It makes Microsoft about the most valuable business in the world. Mm. I still, if you, again, go back a decade, if someone had said to you, wait 10 years, Microsoft will be worth more mm. than Apple, you could have got pretty long odds on that, I reckon. That, that's true. I mean, I'll say a couple of things here. I think this, uh, I've, you know, you and I and you know, others in our full team, we, you know, we have had this discussion and I keep saying that, you know, one of the companies that has reinvented itself very well mm. is Microsoft, right? And it kind and of went under the radar because it, it's not really, a, exactly. it really reinvented itself as a consumer company, no, right? No, as, as a business company. And, but that is where its roots were, right? I true, mean, true. Its, its roots were basically an enterprise through its software, right, right, you yeah, know, yeah. the exchange software, which, you know, we use at the full and, yeah, for, the, email. The, and for email and all their office suite, right? Mm-hmm. And and through that, they, you know, kept their enterprise roots and have gone to essentially become a cloud leader. They're basically, you know, pretty much neck and neck, number two uh, on, on cloud. And, and that's which is what, pretty impressive. Which is very impressive. Because their first couple of cloud offerings were... I wouldn't say disappointing, but we're definitely not very well adopted at the time. Yeah, it was not adopted. But I think one of the things to remember here is that a company that has got such deep, long roots, mm. it's very difficult to displace that company. It's very difficult to actually rule out that company as long as they you know, can um, keep keep doing their bit. And it mm. gives them a lot of opportunity and time to sort of you know reset things. Now, I reckon this is... So you and I talked about this this morning. Mm. And you made this point. I thought it was a really, really smart point. So when you think about the way these businesses, or Microsoft in particular... Has has kind of been able to be so successful. It hasn't. It, it's kind of been able to take its time, fly beneath the radar, mm. specifically because it was conservatively run. Yes, and kind of had the business attributes, and I'll ask you what those are. To 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 basic or to give it give it the chance to have a couple of bites at the cherry. Right, if you're if you're a very heavily, I won't give it away, but you know, there are some businesses who get one bite of the cherry. Yeah, you get one hail mary. If it works, you're a genius. If it fails, you you go broke. Mm. And frankly, that kind of was Apple back in the day when Microsoft made an investment to keep it mm. alive. Mm-hmm. Fast forward though, how many years? You want twenty twenty five years? What has allowed Microsoft specifically to to kind of reinvent itself or simply reemerge yeah. as as a leader? What, what's done that? So uh, I think a couple of things. One is that you know the deep roots in enterprise. The the fact that mm-hmm. the the software is used by millions and millions of people. So, and are you thinking reputation here or cash flow or both? I mean, in both, right? I mean, solid cash flows, mm. right? Solid cash flows, solid balance sheet. You know, very little debt. The ability to withstand, you know, 
troubling times, right? Mm. The ability to to invest. The in the other thing is that you know, big company if it is run well, yeah. has the ability to attract talent, has the ability to invest in R&D has the ability to acquire things mm. right it gives them it, this is what i said that the big companies the big tech giants they mm. are not going anywhere largely because you know they have all these things it's very difficult to displace them yeah. and 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 the other thing we forgot about microsoft is microsoft actually fought antitrust True, true. It fought antitrust as well. So uh, the, the US government kind of partly tried to break it up, partly tried to fine it. The Europeans did yeah, something similar. Yeah. Internet Explorer was supposed to be the, the, the big bogeyman. Now, as it turns yeah. out, everyone's using Chrome these days and, and maybe a bit of Safari, maybe a little tiny bit of um, Internet Explorer or Edge, as they call it these days. Yeah. But but the, yeah, that was that was supposed to... It's it kind of funny the way things move on, right? That, yeah. was, that was the big risk. That was the big Battle. bogeyman that every, yes. every regulator was worried about. Fast forward, I don't think anyone uses Internet Explorer anymore unless you Well, I mean, the know. thing is that, you know, some of that, the regulators were right and that Netscape is dead. True, true, <laughs> right? good point. So yeah, the regu- yeah, good regulators point. were right and that they just did not know which That's was fair. the right product to, <laughs> to, to hit. Right. So but, the, the, the right, right. The right cause, so, but the wrong victim, right? The right cause, but the wrong victim. But okay. the, you know, I think, my, again, and a part of this also is the dynamics that, you know, uh, Microsoft has got a higher PE, substantial higher PE than uh, Apple. Apple has got a much lower PE. Which is saying something too, right? Which is, again, which is, which is again what I keep saying. You know, everybody talks, you know, this is a long discussion, but everybody talks about all these things. Yeah, it, it, people think that Apple is dead. And, and to me, that seems like, okay, well, if Apple is dead, then every other company in this planet is also dead because, you know, <laughs> <laughs> Apple could basically walk over all these companies if it wants to because yeah. it has so much money. It generates like $60 billion of free cash flow, right? Yeah. That's insane amount of money that you're yeah. generating in a year. Yeah. Yeah. So I think, you know, this is, again, a testament that if you've got strong consumer relations or strong enterprise relations, yeah. Yeah. Uh, if you've got products that are sticky, it gives you immense amount of time to yep. do things. Um, and now, I asked you, okay, so Microsoft managed to fight its way back from, if not actual oblivion, at least perceived oblivion, mm. and yet Nokia, BlackBerry, yes. you know, so, so, so Microsoft back in the day, so pre, pre-smartphone, the laptop was the device of choice. Mm. The Mac kind of was there, but not really. The MacBook Air didn't exist. Microsoft had it all before it. Fast forward 10 years uh, many, many more Macs being sold, a whole lot more iPhones being sold. The proportion of connected devices using Microsoft has declined dramatically, and yet it survived in a, in a way that BlackBerry, at least in its original iteration, and Nokia, it had been bought by Microsoft as it turns out, uh, didn't manage to survive in their own on their own on their own backs. What what is the difference? You kind of alluded to it, but why did Microsoft survive when Nokia and BlackBerry couldn't? So I, I think in BlackBerry's case, I think BlackBerry did own sort of customer relationships and mm-hmm. was very strong in business. Yeah, but, huge. Uh, but I think uh, you know some of that was just inept management. But, but I think the fact that I don't think BlackBerry in those days mm. had the type of balance sheet and financial strength right. that Microsoft had when you know it was perceived to have you know be one of those have run mm. kind of companies mm. or today Apple which people think oh you know it's its best days are behind right. no you know when you don't have that 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 makes management do all sorts of things. Management will make wrong decisions because they feel pressured. Apple's yeah, management okay. does not feel any pressure because they can just buy back the stock. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah. Uh, so I mean, those sort of things are very important. Um, having the ability to the 
optionality, I think, yeah. is huge. Nokia, I think, is slightly different. Nokia could have been uh, significantly bigger because, but Nokia was also a disparate business. Yeah. So Nokia had a lot of things to do with the, the cell, uh, you know, the cellular technology side. That side of the business has actually been fine. It's the the is the handset business, yeah. which which suffered. Uh, and the handset business never really had direct customer relationships, right? You know, it, it's not it was not the same as like the iPhone business or the fact that you know uh, thousands of people are using Microsoft Word and they're like you know right, uh, right. basically glued to Microsoft Word. So again, the, the part having the relationship is a big deal, mm. uh, in my opinion, and that's why you know you see these companies like Apple invest in stores. That's basically all about having the customer relationship. Yeah, right. Okay. And and that's that's tremendous optionality again. That makes sense. Um, yeah. Cool. Mate, look, I, I like that. I, I like the story. I think I think there's a lesson there for a whole lot of people around both Apple's decline and Microsoft's resurgence um, around the, the sentiment of the markets, also around the, what, what lets companies thrive and survive and, and how you need to be careful to write off businesses that have those conservative balance sheets with lots of cash, with lots of good cash flow. It's one thing to say it's not doing as well as it might have or maybe it needs to find something new to do but there's plenty of opportunity for those kind of businesses to do that and i think there's uh, there's real there's real you know, we get caught up with growth a lot mm-hmm. and to some degree growth is really important but if you think about again where blackberry was in the ascendancy where microsoft was at roughly the same time in in some sort of I won't say even tailspin, but certainly decline and, and in many people's view something that was relatively terminal as a decline or at least mm. permanent um, those businesses have turned themselves around largely because of things we don't talk about a lot we should talk about more which is things like balance sheet strength cash flow the ability to bounce back to try and you, know, you can throw a whole lot of stuff at a whole lot of walls if you have the cash flow and, and the, the balance sheet to do it where if you don't you can have the best business in the world but if there's not a lot of cash in reserve you don't have a lot of plan B's and plan C's you can really go after Mate, that is it for this podcast. Uh, it's been a fun one. I've, I've certainly learned a few things, which is always nice. Before we do wrap up, don't forget, listeners, you can, and we would like you to, subscribe to the Triple M Motley Fool Money podcast through iTunes or your favourite Android podcast app. I don't think you can do it on a Windows-powered phone anymore, but uh, but find, find, an, find an Apple phone or an Android phone. Um, and if you like what we're doing, as we ask every single week, please do leave us a review or a rating. Um, it helps us jump up the charts just a little bit, uh, which we like, but also hopefully, hopefully, if you're enjoying this, other people will too. And it helps many more listeners find the Motley Fool Money podcast, which we would appreciate. And of course, to hear from us directly, you can get a dose of foolishness straight to your inbox by going to www.fool.com.au forward slash... Triple M. And I'm writing a regular column these days, a couple of times a week, maybe three if you're lucky. Uh, so you'll hear directly from me, from our boss, Bruce Jackson. You might get a couple of marketing emails too with some good special deals. Uh, so if you are interested, if we are entertaining and we are educating you, maybe even amusing you, give us a go and see what you like. That's it for this week's Motley Fool Money. We'll be back next week with another dose of Foolish Insight and a little bit of Foolish Mailbag. Full on. Full on. The Motley Fool and people appearing in this program may have positions in the companies mentioned. General advice only. Please speak to your financial professional to understand how it may pertain to your situation. Subscribe to the free newsletter at fool.com.au forward slash triple M. The Motley Fool operates under financial services license 400691.